Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I pray that you're encouraged by what you hear today. This week, Belinda Lakeland shares some reflections on the raising of Lazarus in John 11, and what we can learn about Jesus from this sign, and what it means to follow him. Today's Bible reading comes from John chapter 11, and it's the first 27 verses. It's about the death of Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha answered, well, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. Amen. Good morning, church. What do you do when you see this sign? 12 items or less. 
You count, don't you? You start counting what's in your basket, and if we're honest, we start counting how many items the person in front of us has as well. Maybe you've taught your kids to count like this. Pick up your socks on the count of one, two. We count steps and we count calories. We count the number of years we spend in a job or the number of years we spend studying for the job. Before we're 35, we count our birthdays. And as we do all of this counting, there are numbers that are special to us. So there's 10,000 steps or 500 calories. My youngest son, he's turning 13 this year. That's an important number, isn't it? I just clicked up five years with my job with the Baptist Association, and that felt like a milestone, something I should celebrate. And the reason I'm talking about counting and numbers is because they're both relevant to our passage this morning. There's a very significant number associated with our story. But if you just read through the story, you wouldn't find it. It's not on the surface. John, who has written this gospel, he's so clever. He has added layers and layers of meaning to his gospel. So if we're going to find this number, we need to go back. You see, back earlier in the gospel, John tells us that Jesus turns water into wine. And he makes this comment that this is the first sign where Jesus reveals his glory. And we think, oh yay, we're kind of celebrating that Jesus kicked off his ministry with this really great miracle. But then a couple of chapters later, Jesus heals the official's son. And John makes this small comment that this is the second sign. So if we're paying attention, we realize John is teaching us to count. We need to count the signs. One, two. So three, Jesus heals the man by the pool of Bethesda. Four, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Five, Jesus walks on water. Six, Jesus heals the man born blind. And seven, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now seven is a really important number. In biblical thinking, it's symbolic of completion. So by giving us seven signs, John is saying, here, I have given you enough evidence for you to be able to believe in Jesus. And you're thinking, well, that's a bit too subtle. I mean, couldn't he just tell us that? Well, he does do that as well. If you flipped to the end of John, in chapter 20, he says this, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is pretty upfront that he has given us all these signs so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God's promised king who will bring God's reign and rule to the world and he has been building his case. So here we are now at the seventh sign. When scholars write about this passage, they say things like, this is the most important, this is the greatest, the most dramatic sign. It would be hard for me to overstate how important today's story is about what it means to follow Jesus. But this passage will also raise for us some important questions. I think questions that sometimes we're even a little afraid to admit out loud. 
The sorts of questions we wonder if we should even be asking. Questions like, why didn't Jesus answer my prayer? Where was Jesus when I needed him? What does it mean to follow Jesus when life is hard? Because this is the situation of the family in the story, of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now I wanna be upfront, I, I do not have all the answers. I wouldn't even want to pretend I had all the answers. But I do hope that there is a word of encouragement for you if that is your season of life, that there will be something in here for you this morning. So let's get into it. The story opens with Martha and Mary sending word to Jesus that the one he loves is ill. And I think this says something really beautiful about their friendship. They don't even need to name Lazarus. The one you love is ill. But they're not just sending Jesus family news. This isn't some sort of Christmas postcard of what's happening. It's a request for help. Jesus, the one you love is ill, come. Come and do something. You see, Martha and Mary, they believe two things about Jesus. They believe that he has power to heal and they believe that he would want to do that. Jesus loves them and he loves Lazarus. Surely he would come. But this is what we read in verse five and six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. Because he loves them, he stays. And I think this kind of grates against what we think we know about friendship and loyalty and love. Because if the one we loved was ill, we would go. We would rush to be by their bedside. We would want to bring comfort and help in whatever ways we can. My mom has done this. She's just rushed up to Queensland to be with someone she loves who is ill. It's what we do, isn't it? Why wouldn't Jesus do that who can actually bring healing? Well, we're given an insight into what Jesus is thinking in verse four. He says, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Well, if we think Jesus's not going is kind of hard to understand, then this explanation is also a bit hard to understand. Like it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, look, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they're gonna suffer, but I'll get some glory out of it, so that's okay. Now if that was what Jesus was saying, then who would need enemies with a friend like this? I mean, seriously. But I think part of our problem in, in understanding what Jesus is saying is the word glory. Because we usually use it in the sense of we give God the glory. We sing songs, we say all oh, glory and honor and power to the one who saved us. And when you win a tennis match, you're supposed to say, oh, God gets all the glory. My husband's here, you can ask him what I say when I win a tennis match. But in John's gospel, he doesn't use the word glory that way. Jesus doesn't need the people around him to be giving him glory. Jesus has the glory. John has told us at the opening of the gospel that Jesus is the word. The one who breathed life, existence, 
Jesus is the one who created everything and he's come down to be flesh, which means there's a a hiddenness about who Jesus is, but he's been slowly revealing it. Jesus doesn't demand glory, he demonstrates his glory. It's a bit like a, a sunrise in the morning. To start with, there's just the most subtle of change as the sky changes from dark black to sort of a dark blue. But then eventually you realize the sky is light blue. And now you can see clouds, and then sunbeams, and then the colors, the orange and the purple and the yellow, and you know the sun is coming. And eventually the orb of the sun comes up over the horizon and you see the glory of the sun. There's been the signs, the sun is coming. And Jesus has been doing that, revealing his glory. One, two, three, four, five, six. Now seven times. This really sad, tragic circumstances of the illness of his friend, the death of his friend, is going to give Jesus an opportunity to reveal more of who he is the resurrection and the life. You see, Martha and Mary, they know that Jesus is a healer. That's actually one of the things that Jesus has revealed about himself. He wants us to know that about him. But if that was the limit to Jesus' power, if all he could do would be buy us a few more moments, months, maybe years on this planet, we would still all face death. There would still be this moment, this season of sadness and grief and loss. We would all face it. You see, we don't just need a healer, we need a savior. And Jesus has come to be that savior, to save us from death. And so he delays in order to show his glory, his power over death. So when he arrives at the village, Jesus finds that Lazarus is four days dead. And I think the scientific term for this is dead, dead. Like people who are four days dead aren't coming back from the dead, dead. They are, we can't open the tomb because he stinks dead. Like that is how dead Lazarus is. But I think Jesus has delayed so he can arrive at exactly the right moment to show what kind of power he is. Because Jesus is a heavyweight. And so he wants to take on death at its ugliest and its heaviest when the family is in the middle of a week of mourning, when the body is decomposing, Jesus will use this opportunity to show his glory. But before he does that, he's going to have a word with his friends, Martha and Mary. It's actually Martha who comes out. Jesus, she hears that Jesus is coming and so Martha comes out to meet him and she meets him and says this to her in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha must be grieving. She's in the middle of the week of mourning. Her house is full of people who've come to join her in grieving the loss of her brother. Yet she hears Jesus is coming 
And I think what she says expresses faith. I think she still expresses that she believes that Jesus is good and would still act to do good. And she's right. She's more right than she even knows. And I think Jesus wants to draw this out of her, to invite her into a deeper understanding of who he is. And so he says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha knows this. I mean, she's a Jew and like many Jews of her day, she's heard from the Hebrew scriptures about this future day of resurrection, a day when the dead will rise. But Jesus wants her to know that the resurrection isn't just a future event, it's a person. And that person is with her now. He's standing in front of her. And so he says to her these amazing words, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. It's inherent in who Jesus is. He is these things. He is the undoer of death and the giver of life. Martha and Mary, they thought they needed a healer. They need the gift of life. And so Jesus has shown up at exactly the right moment to help them understand this. It's not the timing Martha wanted. It's not the timing Mary wanted. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's not the timing Lazarus wanted, but Jesus has shown up. But he also wants to have a word with Mary. Martha goes and gets her sister. Mary comes to Jesus and says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Mary doesn't have any more words. She throws herself at Jesus' feet and weeps. And Jesus, the resurrection and the life, he weeps with her. He doesn't correct her, rebuke her, He just joins in, in her grief. And he looks around at everyone else who is joining her in her grief. And and our English translations say that Jesus is deeply moved. But there's actually a sense of anger associated with this emotion, a sense of indignation. Jesus is looking around at seeing everybody weep and he's angry. It's not right, it's not right that this is life. He breathed out life. He wants us to flourish, to not have to deal with evil and death. It's not his plan. And he sees the damage that death does to us. He sees the destruction. And he has this public display of emotion, of anger against his opponent, death. And now he's really ready for a fight. So he asks to be taken to the tomb. But it's not much of a match at all. Because Jesus simply speaks. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Because when the resurrection and the life calls your name, you come. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. 
He doesn't need them anymore. He is fully restored, fully healed. And I think we would love for this to be the end of the story. Wouldn't this be a happy ending? Don't we want to linger in the moment? Don't we want to know about the reunion between Lazarus and his sisters? Don't we want to know about the amazement of the crowd? I want to know how many people came up to Lazarus and pinched him. Is it really you? Are you really there? I want to know what Lazarus was thinking. I mean, four days dead. What did you see? What did you hear? But we don't get any of those details because this is not the end of the story. This is actually just the first round with death. You see, if Jesus has arrived at exactly the right moment to take on death here, he's also arrived at exactly the right moment to provoke the high priests and the religious leaders into plotting his death, which is what John goes on to tell us from verse 45. See, Jesus has been in control this whole time. If we go back to the start of the story, we see that when uh, they get the news that Lazarus is ill, the disciples are sort of a bit like, well, Rabbi, you know, if you go to Lazarus, they're trying to kill you down there. You'll be putting your life on the line. And Jesus gives this really Jesus-y kind of answer in verse 9. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus is operating to a schedule. And it's daytime. There's time for healing. There's time for him to go to Lazarus and reveal his glory. But night is coming. He will face death. You see, if Jesus is really going to take on death at its worst and at its heaviest, he needs to do it not from outside the tomb, but from inside the tomb. So Jesus is going to allow himself to be arrested and tried and crucified. Jesus is going to allow death to take his breath. He's going to allow his body to be wrapped in grave clothes and a stone to be rolled over his own tomb. And for two days, Jesus will delay. He'll do nothing. There'll be no answers, no comfort, just darkness. Until the third day, when the resurrection and the life will raise to life. When he will take off his own grave clothes and fold them up and leave the tomb. Jesus will raise again, but in a different way, in a, in a different kind of body. Jesus will raise in a resurrection body that is fit for the new life, fit for eternal life, fit for a life where we never have to face disease and grief and death. See, Jesus didn't just die and come back to life. That's what Lazarus did. Lazarus has raised mortal. Lazarus will still face death again, but Jesus sort of traveled through death and to the other side. 
And the next time he calls our name, it's from there. That's where we'll join him. He will say, disease, let them go. Despair, let them go. Darkness, let them go. Death, let them go. And they will let us go because the resurrection and the life has called our name. This is our great hope. This is why John has written this gospel, so that we would believe these things and join Jesus in eternal life. It's not enough to believe in Jesus as a healer. It's not enough to only believe that Jesus can turn water into wine. It's not enough to even believe that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You see, the religious leaders believed that about Jesus. They do not doubt or question that this has happened. In fact, they plan to kill Lazarus as well. So if this is the greatest sign, it actually leads to the greatest act of unbelief. The high priest plotting the murder of Jesus. So what does it look like to believe in Jesus? How do we receive this eternal life? Well, I think we find the answer in Martha. If you come back to the conversation that Jesus has with Martha from verse 21, when he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life, he follows up with a question. Do you believe this? Martha has a choice. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Do these words sound familiar? I read them to you at the start. What has John said is the whole purpose of this gospel. It's so, these are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And now here it is, it's Martha who pulls all the pieces together. It's Martha who's been given this insight into Jesus' glory. And we know these words are significant. In the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's Peter who has this insight. Jesus has been training his disciples and at some point he says to them, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. We call this the great confession. And Peter is commended for his insight into who Jesus is, for this understanding that God has given him. That moment is not in John's gospel. It's Martha who has that insight. It's Martha who is able to see the man in front of her and believe that he is God's coming king who will bring God's reign and rule into the world. And what makes this even more staggering is when she makes this statement. You see, John has given us seven signs to believe. How many has Martha had? She didn't get her seventh sign, did she? This is before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Martha is in that, that sickening place of grief, that sickening place of not knowing what tomorrow brings, that place of wondering what Jesus is doing 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's been given no answers, no explanation for what Jesus is doing or why. And yet she's asked, do you believe this? And Martha looks at the man in front of her, her friend, who she believes loves her, who has power to do good. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, she believes him. And I know there will be people here this morning who find themselves in that same sickening place, that place of grief, that place of not understanding what Jesus is doing, that place of thinking, I prayed, I asked, you didn't come, you delayed, it's too late now. I mean, we've sent word to Jesus, the one you love is ill, and he didn't come. We've prayed, we've asked God to heal our babies and to restore our parents and save our friends. And it's like he hasn't even heard. Where is he? Where is he when we needed him the most? And if you find yourself in this place this morning, I want you to know two things really. I want you to know it's okay to be like Mary. It's okay to come out to Jesus and weep. It's okay not to have words. Weep and wail, feel angry, feel indignant. We feel this way because it's not right. It's natural for us to grieve and mourn and know that Jesus joins you in that grief that Jesus doesn't want this for our world and so he has joined us, he has gone through death for us to bring about a better world, eternal life. But also pray that you'd be like Martha, that instead of staying home and feeling angry, you'll come out to meet Jesus with whatever little faith that you have, express it Look at your friend Jesus. Remind yourself of the signs that you have seen, the way Jesus has been good and kind, of his love for you. And pray that you will have this insight, this deeper understanding, this deeper relationship with Jesus, the resurrection and the life. May that comfort you as you journey through your valley. Friends, take all the time you need to grieve. But also pray that you would be like Martha, that you would have the faith to say, yes, Lord, I believe. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you are good, that you are the undoer of death and the giver of life. Lord, as we journey through life, we know it's inevitable that there will be hard times, that there will be sickness, that there will be trouble. It's still hard, God, to go through it. Lord, I pray that we would be comforted by you, comforted by your presence, comforted by your tears. Lord, I pray that we would know your power, your resurrection power in our life. And Lord, I pray that each and every day, no matter what we're going through, we'd be able to come out and meet you.
and that we would be able to confess our belief in you. Yes, Lord, I believe. Lord, grow us, grow our understanding of who you are and let us see your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. We follow the resurrection and the life, even in the midst of trouble, sickness, and death. And we wait longingly for the day when Jesus will call us out of everything that binds us, and those things will have to let us go. Do you believe this? I hope you've been encouraged by this message and spurred on to imitate Martha's confession, recalling all we know of our friend Jesus and placing our faith in Him. Don't forget, you can join us for Sunday services at gbconline.org.au at 9.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time, or visit our website at guymeabaptist.org.au for on-site service times. Thanks for joining us again this week, and until next time, God bless. God bless.